Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. As always, we have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is with us. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, good to have you. It's so great to be here. Oh, it's another rainy day here in uh, spring-like Wisconsin. Robert Craig is with us. Robert is the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning, everyone. So uh, we are eh, about a week removed from an absolutely historic non-vote, I guess we can dun, say. Dun, dun. <laughs> and Jorna, you were gone last week, so yeah, so you missed all of the excitement. I we, didn't actually. No, you didn't. I, I can imagine there was. It was basically non-drama. We never actually had a vote. We spent the the uh, last two days of the week waiting to record the podcast, ex- waiting for the actual... Waiting for Godot, waiting yeah. for Paul Ryan. Right, waiting for the death of what was a historic, and an epically historic failure by the Republicans. Uh, it's, uh, it's hard to total count the amount of times that they actually attempted to repeal the legislation in 2016, but their first real legitimate effort goes in flames. So two topics that I want us to start off with today is, first, Robert, just any of your thoughts about sort of where this leaves us on from the policy front of healthcare going forward. And then, Jorna, I'm going to ask you after that, after we have that discussion, to take a lead on, let's talk about where this leaves Paul Ryan, our our favorite wah, wah. <laughs> our favorite person to track and follow in his first real foray into true leadership. Robert, where are we on healthcare uh, now that they've repealed? Is there, is there, or now that they have failed to repeal, is do we expect another effort, or is or is this just going to be straight up sabotage uh, with the current oh, uh, Affordable Care Act? Well, I mean, this was a huge victory for democracy because I don't think, without the incredible citizen protest that started after the election, that this would have happened. So we should all be excited about you know the basic idea that democracy still matters if citizens will take action beyond voting and, and actually then actually focus on something and work on something in intense intensive way. So we have to keep doing that on this and other issues. But uh, we should have a little bit of an end zone celebration. But then at the end of the day, this is far from over. Uh, first of all, uh, a lot of the opposition in the House was to the right. They saw this as Obamacare right, the uh, light the Freedom Caucus did. And uh, they're still trying to find a deal. And so it does show how divided they are, how incoherent they are, how their decision, which was, I think, a fateful decision to run on health care costs and access like progressives and then turn around, do a bait and switch and then have the bait and switch not go far enough for the uh, completely uh, crazed representatives, crazed ideologically, not in the mental health sense, uh, that the Tea Party movement has elected uh, since 2010, uh, is a stunning defeat, and it shows how weak Trump is, and it's partly Trump's other weaknesses, like the Russia investigation, that also made this possible to have this rump group of Freedom Caucus people. And some people we call a coverage caucus that's more in the Senate on the Republican side than the House, but there are a few of those. Uh, that they're being called the uh, coverage caucus now. The other thing, so this will come back if they can ever find what they want to do, and they certainly are putting their best policy minds forward. But the second thing is they can sabotage the law. That's the current biggest threat. And quite frankly, there's this ridiculous lawsuit 
uh, that the House sued the Obama administration on the grounds that the affordability subsidies, so not the tax credits for the premiums, but the things that reduce deductibles and co-pays for people under 200% of poverty, they sued and claimed that they were illegal. The Trump administration could literally pull its, uh, its defense of the lawsuit and therefore take these subsidies away from the poorest uh, people who are on the, the, the ACA marketplace. That would include all the people Walker forced on by not taking the Medicaid money. It's about 123,000 people in Wisconsin. So we may see a plan B through Secretary Tom Price that is a sabotage strategy as they look for a plan C, which is some other legislative formula couple of things, Robert, that I, I want to get you to unpack before we move on to talking specifically about Paul Ryan and more the political implications. You mentioned the Freedom Caucus. Um, they played a critical role, and for our listeners, I'm going to reference uh, an article that we'll have on our webpage about, if, I think it was in Politico, about really laying out how the Freedom Caucus, particularly about 24 of their members, made a pact with each other, that they were not going to um, essentially allow themselves to make an independent decision and that they would touch back with each other. And that proved to be an extraordinarily durable uh, relationship that put all the public pressure that Robert was talking about into play and allowed. So, for example, when you have uh, Congressman Gallagher not taking a public position, clearly this is about public pressure, right? And the positioning of the Freedom Caucus where those votes are, he didn't have to because he kind of knew all along that this wasn't coming to a vote and he wasn't going to take a very uh, difficult, may not have to take a very difficult decision. So clearly the Freedom Caucus, big role. Robert, is there, I mean, is there really any chance that they could cobble together uh, essentially a repair, a rep- let's call it repeal and replace 2.0, which I assume they'd have to do fairly quickly. Uh, is, and, and I assume that that might not be anything that could get through the Senate. So if they can't, right, you go to, I guess, what you're describing as sabotage. Well, and of course, they would work on an aligned track because if they can, Trump said in his tweet over the weekend that Obamacare would explode, the Congressional Budget Office is very clear that it's not unstable, it's not exploding, but could he and Tom Price make it explode? And that's the and then point turn around and say, see, we have to pass this thing. Right. Uh, so that would that would seem to be, but they have to get that to happen before the next election year. Most people think that they wouldn't want to do this in election year, but we'll see because they face consequences for not doing it as well. Uh, their problem is this: even though the progressive pressure made this an issue. They've created a Republican Party based on the, the way they invested in Tea Party candidates after 2010, where you can't lose being to the further right. And so these Freedom Caucus folks, most of them have no repercussions because you can't beat them from the right. And they have these gerrymandered districts, and basically there seems to be virtually no limit to how far right you can go. And so that's the dynamic they've created deliberately in their sinister efforts to undermine expanding health coverage uh, after uh, during the Affordable Care Act debate. Well, and I think it's absolutely fascinating that the what passes as, I guess, a moderate Republican in this Congress, which is not a thing, but they were hiding under the, you know, on the shirt tails of the Freedom Caucus absolutely. to not have to take this vote. And, and that's just crazy that, you know, we're letting government be controlled by crazy people. Now, it worked out in our favor this time um, and didn't allow for the repeal of Obamacare, but uh, it's it's just a fascinating dynamic to watch the Republican Party eat its own. I just want to say the Freedom Caucus has the better 
uh, position in many ways because they are frankly admitting that they don't think it's the government's role to make sure people get health care, whereas the Ryan-Trump faction wanted to abate and switch and say they were going to make it more available, lower deductibles and premiums, run on that, and then do the opposite, and then radically restructure Medicaid to boot. And so at least the Freedom Caucus position is an authentic ideological position. This is a little bit like the problems that Tom DeLay Congress got themselves into, where they were perceived, and this is what partly what led to the Tea Party, by conservatives as essentially becoming Washingtonians, deal-cutting for the moneyed interest behind the Republican Party and not pushing a conservative ideological position. So before we, and we're going to have to do it after the break, we're going to go into details about Paul Ryan and, and the implications for Paul Ryan. I, I believe what you lay out, Robert, lays out a scenario where the Freedom Caucus has clearly demonstrated that we probably are not going to have repeal 2.0 because it, it will be something that will have to be more authentic towards a, a conservative position, which will make it not passable, particularly in the Senate. Maybe they could get something through the House, but probably not passable. So it leads us to the situation where I think, Robert, what you lay out in terms of sabotage is very real. But and that so going, drives the other part, too. So going forward, what I think is really important for our listeners is we have to be out there. One, this is going to still be an open debate, and we have to know that they're going to be trying to sabotage it. One is we have to lay out markers again as to what our broader goals are, right? We need and what we think. Everybody needs access to affordable health care, right? Whether we think that's Medicare for all. What we need to understand, though, is what they're doing on sabotage is far worse. And we cannot allow them to get away with the idea that some of this is they've been doing this for seven years. Right. No, this is fundamentally different. They control government now. They are choosing to sabotage a bill that they couldn't pass and fix with something that was coherent. Right. So it is more morally repugnant that they would sabotage. You could understand prior to not having full control while they would say, well, we're going to wait till the next election when we get control. And so we're going to try to hold this thing up and not allow it to go forward, maybe even damage it along the way. But they've already demonstrated that they've got nothing that they can put forward. So sabotage has a greater moral problem. And we need to be out there as progressives calling that out while laying a vision of what we ought to be shooting for. And it's not too much to say, uh, we'll see if the right-wing groups go crazy for me saying that sabotage is a form of treason. So, for example, imagine if we had someone who wanted a different highway, right, a state official. What if they actually did things that caused traffic accidents, right, and people died so they could get their political way? That's what we're talking about here. And quite frankly, and this is why I'm more worried about the legislative angle, if they pull the affordability subsidies from the lowest income people on the ACA marketplace, they will leave insurance in droves, and there may be a big crisis where they can revisit this and say, see, it's failing, so we have to do this. Well, when we get back from the break, we're going to dive in a little more to some of the, the political, implement- political implications for our good friend Paul Ryan. So welcome back, Jorna. Matt. It, it's Paul Ryan watch time. Oh, uh, <laughs> I like watching him these and, days. And, you know, because of healthcare, Paul Ryan watch now has moved up in the show. It's not, you know, maybe later to the end where we have to just check in on Paul Ryan this week. Jorna, he, he's in a real boat of hurt here. Uh, and the least of which is Donald Trump and his over the weekend uh, efforts to try to, well, maybe I think Paul did a good job or maybe I didn't. 
Where, where what's up with Paul Ryan? Well, unfortunately for the good speaker, he may be uh, delegated back to the bottom of our show soon enough because uh, they're calling for his head. And specifically, who who uh, who's calling for his head? Specifically, <laughs> the Republicans, aka Breitbart, the yep. mouthpiece of the administration. Um, a few days ago. You know, after the the fail of the repeal bill to even come to a vote, all of the sudden put out this article that you know there's a discussion of replacement among the GOP ranks of of getting rid of the speaker and and that's intensifying in the White House and Congress and that's not coming from the Wall Street Journal liberal rag that that is or even gasp in the New York Times or that you know. That shoddy fake news site, Washington Post. Nope, this is coming from Real News Breitbart. Well, it, apparently Trump, who was the world's greatest negotiator, you know, the master of the art of the deal, couldn't quite get make this. Make it happen. Make it happen. We talked before the break about his and the whole inability to actually reach out to the Freedom Caucus. Um, so, yeah, all this cover, but that could lead towards an effort to try to push Paul Ryan out. I, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, We're going to have to watch. I think it's going to be interesting. You know, they're they're about to go on to Easter break. They're in for like, you know, 12 days or something in April. And we've got a debt ceiling vote coming up and they're going to be on break at some point. So it'll be up to us to keep the pressure on in the districts for all of not just Paul Ryan here in the first, but also all across the country to hold these Republicans accountable for what they're doing to keep the pressure on to have town halls to meet with them in person uh to really keep their feet to the fire and and not just let this health care vote be the only incident of public outrage so i just i would just say this that paul ryan will probably survive for the same reason obamacare survived and that is there may be a consensus for repeal but there's even worse division over <laughs> replace like who would replace him right and so you do have the president tweeting out to watch this show on Fox News and then the show opening up with fire Paul Ryan and then the president's White House saying, oh, no, no, he just likes the show with the tweet had nothing to do with that. It's so it's such a surreal I like adolescent it. bizarre thing to watch. So, look, um, Jordan, you're absolutely right. We have to keep a lot of pressure on Paul Ryan. He's going to be back uh, in town, supposedly ought to be having town halls, right, trying to figure out <laughs> how we move forward. So, look, there's going to be a number of town halls being scheduled, I believe, uh, uh, by a number of different organizations in his district in the upcoming weeks while he's on break. We'll have more information about those next week, and we want to encourage people, if you get a chance to go out, we have to draw attention to the fact that this guy – doesn't even hold town halls anymore in his own district, Robert. It's just important to be aware that he promised donors, he had a big fundraiser right after this, that he would soon have a plan for this, for, for the next replace. So his speakership is sort of on the line here. And that at another big fundraiser in Florida the next week, this was in Chicago, that uh, they should come to that one too because he would start to roll out this plan. So he is still promising the big boys that, that underwrite the Republican Party that he's going to fix all this. So before we uh, turn to state affairs, we have to uh, talk a little bit about a major uh, thing Donald Trump did this week related to climate change. So he promised in his campaign and uh, delivered this week that he was going to basically fight climate change. And so uh, he signed a sweeping executive order on Tuesday that rolled back rules limiting carbon, carbon emissions and essentially regulating fossil fuel producers. And quite frankly, um, 
this is this is huge. Uh, we don't talk a ton about this issue. We are going to be talking more about it going forward because uh, it's so important. And uh, Robert, I know you have you spent some time tracking this this week. It's an issue that's very uh, dear to you. Uh, we got give, give our listeners the skinny on what this really means, but then let's start to talk about what are the opportunities going forward to organize uh, around this issue and what could we possibly do here in Wisconsin? It ought to be dear to everyone because this is the biggest issue going on. This is about the future of the species, okay? Not a small issue. And so there's a Paris Peace Accord. The major powers in developing countries have made promises for how they're going to reduce uh, carbon emissions enough to uh, keep us at two degrees centigrade. The EU is moving forward. China is moving forward. And now we have, I mean, really, we look ridiculous globally right now, in addition to the consequences, right, that we have uh, this adolescent position that we're going to go back to the 19th century and we're going to mine more coal, right? We're going to have clean coal, really clean coal. And he actually announced this uh, surrounded by all-white male coal miners, which was another fascinating. They love the all-white male pictures like they had during healthcare. They don't have any women. Yeah. So well, at least Mitt had a binder of them, right? I mean, come on. God, maybe he should have left it for Trump. Oh, all right, Robert. Sorry. So he's reversed the clean power plans, which was asking the states to meet standards, and uh, which was President Obama's uh, approach to try to deal with this and get around a Congress that also didn't believe in science, right, and is completely supercharged by the fossil fuel in- industry. So the embarrassing international headlines, because I reviewed those and articles, is about how China is now the leader on global warming and having the Chinese say that they don't care what Trump does. We need this for the future of the planet. And by the way, and the EU saying the same thing, us investing all this technology is going to hurt America economically, the United States, because we're going to be way ahead on all of the renewable energy technologies. So he's promising people in Appalachia they'll get their coal mining jobs back when in fact, do you know that we mine double the coal we did in 1940 right now, but we have one eighth of the jobs? So a lot of this is mechanization. So you're not going to reemploy this region this way. It is just classic demagoguery. In addition, it, you know, it makes us look absolutely ridiculous. We're, we're literally like a rogue nation on this, right? Uh, and quite frankly, it also uh, jeopardizes our economic future because, my goodness, one of the best ways to put people to work and create high-wage economy is to do what we need to do to have this energy transition. So, Robert, quite frankly, a lot of the energy has come from states in leading on this issue and states california in particular which not wisconsin not, not <laughs> well wisconsin was actually a leader in trying to right. find alternative energy around 2000 or so and when we set a 10 percent standard right and right. now that standard is ridiculous right other states uh, are doing 30 more in california is really setting the lead right and california is so big that it's a major player and it's actually moving markets right now markets are almost starting on you know bizarrely to hear me say this dictate that they're that we're moving on this so what does it mean to state say wisconsin were to actually have a change of leadership in two years, four years, right? Or, Cross your or we were to lay out a vision of what that would look like. What are the opportunities or, you know, what can states like Wisconsin or other states, if they wanted to move forward on this, do to work it, and not have this be something that is as cataclysmic as it seems to be? Well, 
I mean, cities are starting to do it. Madison just uh, uh, passed initiative to try to be 100% renewable. I believe it's by 2050, but by a, a date certain. Uh, there's a ton states could do. We're doing the opposite right now. We have business Correct. leaders there close to Walker saying that we're a coal state. Well, I didn't know we mined coal in Wisconsin. We just import the energy. If we did local renewable energy, small scale, it would be very labor intensive. We could put people back to work in urban areas, in all the rural areas. They're losing economic prosperity across Wisconsin. So You know this, Robert? There are more workers in California doing renewable energy than all the coal miners in the country. Just Right, a little clarity. And so better jobs. I, just one thing: we we tend to say with some things, and I don't agree with some of this analysis that we don't have the money for things. Right, the thing is, like we don't have the money to have free college tuition. I think we could find it, but on this issue, here's the thing: investments in renewable energy and energy efficiency, on a global average, according to economists, pay them pay for themselves in three years. Which means if you create through government, and city governments can do this too, a financing mechanism, you can bring the money back and more. So it's not even a permanent expenditure. It's an investment that pays itself, pays for itself. And we can do, since we have the fastest uh, declining middle class in the United States, according to the Pew Charitable Trust, we could have a dual strategy here, both to reduce carbon enough to prevent a global climate catastrophe, or do Wisconsin's part, or Milwaukee and Madison and other cities across the state's part, and we could create... Uh, enough middle-class jobs across the state to start to turn around the whole direction of this economy in a massive way if we did them together. And it's the only, and it's the way you could finance both. So the other approaches to the economy don't uh, don't necessarily pay for themselves like this. So it is amazing, given science, how perfect this is. It's almost like someone gave us a test. We can see if the species is smart enough to figure out how it can spend, and here's the amount, 1.5% of GDP to prevent a global climate catastrophe. Science, Robert. What is this <laughs> fake news you speak of, this science? Um, I also, I, I know we're, I don't want to switch topics too much, but sticking on this environmental um, train here, it also appears that the good president would like to take $50 million from the Great Lakes Protection to help fund his border wall. I think that is a phenomenal idea. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> no, look, obviously, Robert, you brought you have brought the appropriate sort of um, weight to what this discussion is. But it's important, right, because th this Tuesday was depressing in many ways when he signs this, but to looking forward and finding ways that that we can actually keep this going forward and actually raise this issue, use this as a clarion call to all of us that maybe haven't been pushing it, I know myself included, how do we see ourselves more engaged in this debate and start to lead, as Robert said, at the local level. Shout out to Madison, right? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that actually starts to change the debate and, you know, click us in the head as to just how out of step we are and that we can't tolerate this kind of behavior anymore and act, you know, because we're going to cook ourselves. Well, this will cause a genocide. And just to be clear, if there are still history books, They'll be asking how the American people could elect such a man and how they could let him uh, perpetrate these crimes in the world's oldest large-scale democracy. They will be, that will be what historians are writing about in, in 100 years as people are abandoning all the coastal areas and actually moving in droves migrants to the Great Lakes area, which is going to be more stable in its new scenario. Oh, yeah, absolutely more stable once we put a wall around the Great Lakes. Um, oh, boy. But, but, you know, just really quickly, it's interesting to see, too, that this has forced a lot of states to lead in this space and to come out this week and say, we're going to be the ones who step forward to protect the environment since we can't count on our federal government, which is crazy talk. I mean, it's good, but it's crazy talk. Well, 
Well, we're at that point. That is the vision forward. We are the folks who are going to have to lead on that, and uh, we will make sure we continue to talk about this topic and figure out how we can continue to push it. We'll be back. So welcome back. We are really excited. We're going to actually switch. We had uh, some good conversations at the federal level, but we're going to move back to some activity that's occurring in our state, but certainly connects to uh, a federal or a national campaign that conservatives have embarked on, and this is to seek a constitutional convention on a balanced budget. So we are really fortunate to have our first guest of the day, and that is Andrea Kaminsky. Andrea is the executive director with the League of, uh, excuse me, the League of Women Voters of Wisconsin. Andrea, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. Well, we're, we're glad you could take the time. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners who maybe haven't been tracking this, it's really kind of blew up this week, what, what this constitutional convention is and what the problem uh, is with it from, from the League's perspective. Sure. Um, Wisconsin is poised to become the 30th um, state to adopt one of these uh, proposals if we don't hold it off. And um, they need 34 states. And then in calling for what's called an Article 5 constitutional amendment um, convention of the states. And then what, what they propose to do with it is, um, is you know, have this uh, convention and have the states ca- call for an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. In fact, at the, constitu- at the convention, they would basically amend the Constitution to require a balanced budget. They need 34 states to, um, to do- make this happen, and Wisconsin would be number 30. Um, once they do that, the problem is, uh, uh, while we understand people's concerns about you know rising federal debt levels, really doing it through this this technique or this method is the wrong way to go, and it's particularly dangerous. It would put at risk. It would open up our our federal constitution and every citizen right that's currently protected in our constitution would be up for grabs. Um, you know, they could amend them, they could eliminate them, whatever. And um, so that's a very dangerous thing. The balanced budget amendment itself is a very dangerous thing because sometimes, excuse me, sometimes governments need to take on some debt in order to in order to get through a bad time, for instance, a recession or a war or something. You know, the, the U.S. went into debt at the, when, they, when they created the Constitution um, at, and, and, won, and eventually won freedom from the British. We went into debt again at the end of World War II. It's, um, this would really tie the hands of the federal government. Well, Andrea, this is Jorna. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is an absolutely fascinating uh, piece of legislation that has been moving through the states that has really sort of flown under many people's radars, I think. And I don't know if if everyone really understands what could be at stake here. We're talking about opening up the Constitution, um, you know, and this, the the fact that they're doing it under the guise of a balanced budget amendment, which is damaging enough in its own right, I think is just sort of a, a bait and switch, as you mentioned, to do a whole bunch of other terrible things. Can you talk a little bit more about what sort of 
things could happen potentially if if this is allowed to go through and if we get to the 34 threshold? Sure. Well, well, what this is, the only other time there's been a convention like this was the time that they created our, our Constitution. It basically, they will have, despite any efforts by Wisconsin lawmakers to limit what Wisconsin's delegates could do at this convention. Fact is, Wisconsin would be one of 50 states, one of 50 votes, and and they could open up the entire Constitution. We could see changes uh, written in or written out, written into or written out of the Constitution, such as defining marriage, such as um, voting rights and restricting voting rights. They could talk about um, freedom of speech and and uh, civil rights. It really opens up the the Constitution, and um, and it's a very dangerous thing. When you think about it, our Constitution is more than 200 years old. It has served us well. There have been individual amendments that have helped us keep up with the times, but it's been a pretty resilient document. Not perfect by any means, um, and some of us would like to see some other amendments, but don't do it this way. So, Andrea, this is Robert. Uh, what's interesting is, is that in many ways the original Constitution was a bit of a coup. That is to say, it was not, it was, there was never an agreement by the national government or state legislators on the front end to go and rewrite the Articles of Confederation. A group of people used the process just to go do it. And in 18th century law, basically the, the, the whole idea of having a constitution and having constitutional conventions is was that you were creating something above normal law that would that had control over all normal law and normal processes and so that's why uh, legal scholars think that you could actually open this up to anything and who knows who's behind this who knows what fo maybe fossil fuel interests want to prevent us from doing anything on global warming i mean just imagine all of the huge interests that try to invest and distort politics what they might want out of such a such a constitutional convention yes and and also there there seem to be there seems to be a lot of disagreement among you know, very smart lawyers as to what's possible and what isn't possible here. So, you know, everything is going to be, it, it, this would be an incredible undertaking. It would be open to legal challenges and um, one in one direction or the other. And, um, and you know, all for the, the purpose of passing a, a, a balanced budget amendment, which would hurt the country economically. Um, it's like, let's not risk all the good that's in our in our U.S. Constitution for that. Well, and Andrea, from my understanding of what would happen, should Wisconsin pass this, should we reach the, the threshold, um, we get to send seven delegates to this convention, and I'm sure from my interpretation here, they would represent a diverse and um, very fair and balanced perspective of Wisconsin citizens, right? Yeah, right. Uh, the way they have it uh, set up, um, the way they've proposed it is that the governor and the uh, president of the Senate and the speaker of the assembly would make those appointments. And, um, well, you know, sometimes Wisconsin's under one-party rule, as it is right now. And so um, there's, there's not even an attempt to ensure that, that there would be bipartisanship. I'm sure, Andrea, that they would appoint, right— um, all of the, the worthy predecessors of the original founding fathers, right? This would just <laughs> right. be a tremendous crew to remite our fundamental laws. Yeah, um, it's a very, very dangerous proposition. And, and, and there are 29 states, as of last week, it went from 28 to 29, 
um, that have already ratified or have already um, passed such resolutions. Some of them go back to the 1970s. And so there is some hope um, in that uh, I, I guess there are two that um, are, are considering rescinding theirs. Um, you, you know, here you've got – in the 1970s, it was a very different time, and there were different people who had different things in mind when they passed this resolution. Some of them are probably not alive today. And um, it, it, it seems like a, a crazy way to um, do something as drastic as open up our Constitution. And I just, I just want to add, Andrea, the balanced budget part is idiotic. Yeah, if you applied it to households, right, then you would ban home ownership and college education for kids if you had a balanced budget amendment applied to the household. Right, right. You know, I took out a loan. I got a house that way. I one time got a car that way. This, it, it, this is um, just plain stupid. So I think also what's really interesting about this is the current timing of this. We just actually had a great discussion of the healthcare implosion, and we're talking about a group here that's in complete control of government, right, at the federal level, and have shown in many ways that they're willing to use that leverage to its fullest. So it, of course, makes it, you know, at this particular time, even more uneasy that we would leave it to these folks. And quite frankly, it, it just seems to be a reflection of the inability on their side to have coherence and be able to move this agenda through our current process, right? And and so it, to, 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 uh, to me, that just seems very dangerous that we would uh, give them that authority, uh, given what we've seen currently in our governing. So what should folks do if they want to get involved in this, uh, in this fight, right? It hasn't happened yet. Um, and, and what would you suggest uh, people to do? Well, this is actually a very good time for people to act now. This is really dangerous. And, in fact, there is a Senate committee that's having a, a vote on this today. That is the uh, Senate Committee on Federalism and something. And, uh, there, and people should be calling their own assembly representative in the Wisconsin State Assembly. They should also be calling their own senator. They can get those uh, contact information on the Wisconsin legislature uh, website. There's a place uh, you can click that says, Who Represents Me?, they should call these uh, people right away and uh, tell them that um, that this is that this is a very dangerous um, uh, proposition and that uh, that that a balanced budget would could could destroy could require Congress to raise taxes on people just when they might be out of work because of a national recession or emergency. It's very dangerous, and um, that th this is a, a proposal that should not go through, should not be passed. And, and if folks want to get involved in uh, the uh, League of Women Voters, what should they do? They can go to League of Women Voters of Wisconsin. It's lwvwi.org. Org on on uh, on the website or find us on Facebook or Twitter and we'd be happy to talk with them. That we um, we've got 18 local leagues around the state and three new ones uh, forming, and um, we'd be happy to get people involved. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you.
Welcome back. So we want to remind our listeners, uh, we record this show on Thursday, and uh, Andrea suggested folks would call about the Thursday uh, Senate hearing, committee hearing. Well, it's obviously already occurred. We're going to assume that it probably passed. Uh, so her advice does not change. Uh, this still has to go to the full Assembly and Senate. And so please make sure you call your representatives. So uh, it's a very important issue. But with that, we are going to move and talk a little bit about the state budget. Uh, we've, I think we may have mentioned this once or twice on our podcast, but the state budget debate is heating up. Governor Walker has introduced his budget, and it is now headed. It is in the Joint Finance Committee this week. Uh, the, uh, the, the folks from all the different departments are, are testifying in front of the Joint Finance Committee, talking about uh, all the different aspects of the budget and starting to get grilled. And one of the things we're seeing is uh, some of the fissures that we're seeing nationally within the Republican Party. We have similar fissures uh, here within our Republican Party, and there's a lot of different sniping going on on transportation, a bunch of different things. Um, but we're not going to dive into that. Instead, we want to uh, encourage people to go and get involved. This is the time where that, uh, coming up in April, where the Joint Finance Committee is going to go and do public hearings. On a road show. So, Jorna, I know you've probably been involved in, in the Joint Finance Many a road, show. road Show. And these are basically all-day-long hearings, or most of the day. Super uh, fun. Super fun. And this committee, the Joint Finance Committee, obviously does the budget writing. So these are the folks, both uh, from the Senate and Assembly side, Republicans and Democrats, although a majority of, of Republicans, that will be uh, taking the next swipe at the budget, essentially taking Walker's budget and rewriting it. And it becomes the blueprint for within what goes to the Senate and the Assembly. So a very important process. And the public hearings are the only time when the general public can offer its input. And so we have six different hearings that are scheduled around the state, with the first one uh, actually starting uh, next week. On Monday. On Monday. Platteville. Platteville. So folks in Platteville, I want to encourage you to get out. We'll have a link which will have the details to all the different six sites with the addresses uh, with the, uh, on, on our website. But and then on Wednesday, coming to Milwaukee, actually West Dallas and State Fair Park. I bet you can come hang out with your favorite podcast uh, personalities at the West <laughs> Dallas hearing. Yes, uh, we will probably be there that day for sure. Uh, so, Robert, I know we've had a group that's, and you've been involved in a group of uh, some of our members and other organizations that have been got out front on Walker's announcement of the budget. Uh, and so these hearings are an opportunity for folks to go and talk. Uh, your thoughts on kind of how we ought to be thinking about this as progressives as an opportunity to be what we should be talking about and what we ought to be pushing uh, the, the legislature on. Well, since National Wisconsin and Wisconsin Council on Children and Families and a whole host of uh, 18 other coalition partners and a lot of citizen action members have been involved, developed a Wisconsin budget for all, which, it, which shows that essentially we could make big investments to strengthen communities and improve life in Wisconsin opportunity if we cleaned up the tax code and stopped doing what Walker does every budget, which is just give away the store to huge uh, special interests, especially uh, large corporate interests. And so we could do things like free college tuition, just for example, free, free uh, technical college tuition. 
we could, should go further than that. But at this point, we could do that. We could do a whole lot of other serious investments. Uh, so people can promote that. But even if they have a different thing than what we have, as far as what they would fund, it just we need to start making the case that there is revenue That's in right. the state of Wisconsin if we would use it appropriately to actually help average people and help strengthen communities. The other big thing I would point to is, is that states are now moving to expand Medicaid now that the Republicans have uh, have uh, latest repeal effort is blown up. And so states like Kansas and North Carolina are talking about it. So Wisconsin is literally giving away $400 million that could literally be used for other purposes by not taking the better Medicaid deal. And if, by the way, since we're talking about the Trump administration sabotaging the affordable like marketplaces and take away, taking away subsidies to reduce co-pays and deductibles for low-income people, the people Walker denied Badger Care are literally at risk. And there are 120,000 people in Wisconsin who would who would face health care that was entirely unaffordable if that sabotage takes place. So obviously there are other big issues like education funding, but we just need to make the case more broadly that we need to invest in what actually improves life and opportunity for people in Wisconsin and stop just giving in to the people who fund campaigns and have lobbying power in Madison. Well, just real quickly to sum this up, not only are there the six joint finance committee hearings, which usually start around nine, they like to wrap them up around five. You may not get to have your chance to actually speak, but we would encourage you to submit written testimony to those, um, video testimony apparently, and Democrats across the state are holding their own series of town halls and listening sessions, and perhaps we can get those up on the Citizen Action website as well, uh, so that you know you you can go and talk to your legislative officials and get your voice heard. Jordan is absolutely right that uh, they are taking video testimony this year, and, I, and, and I'm not sure 100% sure joint finances, but we're going to submit them. And I know the Democrats in their listening sessions are going to take them. So if you want to submit written testimony or uh, video testimony, send it to me, matt.brusky, B-R-U-S-K-Y, at citizenactionwi.org. We'll uh, make sure that that gets submitted uh, at uh, one of the hearings that we'll be attending. And it's very important uh, that folks uh, get their voices involved in, in this process. So uh, again, we'll have a full list of those hearings on our website. They also include Berlin High School, Spooner, Ellsworth, and Marinette. Uh, but we need to before we get out of here. We, it's it's election week. It's GOTV week. Spring elections. Get on TV. Oh yeah, get on TV. <laughs> well, they're on the ads. Uh, we're seeing all the in these spring elections. These are not the heavily uh, high financed, high rolling uh, elections. So we generally don't even really start to see ads or anything until the final week. But they are up. Of course, uh, Tony Evers is our uh, endorsed candidate for superintendent of DPI. I mean, this race is so clear cut. We're talking about a guy who is a big, strong supporter of public education as opposed to the diverting of resources off into the private voucher system. And uh, hopefully uh, Tony's in good shape. But there's a number of judge races, mayor's races, county boards, uh, city councils throughout throughout the state uh, this week. Vote, baby, vote. Vote, baby, vote. And before you vote, this weekend is an opportunity to get involved, right, and and help get out the vote. Since since I mentioned there's not, not a lot of resources, this final weekend push to get out the vote is critically important. In Milwaukee, uh, you can, you can uh, go over to the MTA office at any time the final few days, and they will help uh, put you to work. Uh, we'll also have a link on our site where uh, you can work directly with the uh, Tony Evers campaign to help get out the vote. Yes. So, Matt, after you're done voting for Tony Evers, 
on Tuesday, you can start with new campaigns on Wednesday because in Wisconsin, we are not at a lack for electoral contests. Okay, this sounds like a trick question. There's so many possible candidates. There are a but lot. Jordan, if I know you, you're probably referencing uh, our sheriff here in Milwaukee. Giddy Dave, up. <laughs> David Clark <laughs> has finally drawn what appears to be a, a serious, incredible opponent. Very do you have, do you, serious. Do you have any information about this guy? So, uh, former Milwaukee Police Captain Ernell Lucas, uh, who currently serves as a vice president for uh, Major League Baseball, which... I don't really understand what that means, but, you know, sports balling. Security, for security. Yes. Dude, great. Um, so I don't know if he rides a horse yet or not, but so I'm going to hold my with my endorsement for just a few more days. But yeah. he is he is decided, he's not officially announced, but he has decided to jump into this race, and he's going to be a real adult threat <laughs> to David Clark, and, and that's awesome. And this gentleman, I believe, spent time in the Milwaukee Police Department. Yeah, he was, a, he was a captain, captain. I believe. Uh, you know, and this race is coming up. It's a partisan race, right? This is not so, a nonpartisan spring election. This will happen in the fall of 2018. Along in August, with, actually, right? Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, the August primary. Because this will be a primary, because so. Because David Clark runs as a Democrat. Let's that's just right. remind people of that over and over. The guy who went to CPAC, the guy who speaks at the GOP convention, the guy who is in Trump's back pocket runs as a Democrat because why? That's convenient for him in Milwaukee. So 2018 is going to be a big election season. And uh, we did find out this week our first Democrat has declared that they're not running uh, Senator Tim Because Cullen. raising money is hard. Oh, Jorna. We know Jorna. Uh, it's, the reality is, right, you can't run for governor if you don't raise resources. I would suggest he raises an important point that blah, blah. It, we have an insane <laughs> campaign financing system. Um, but the truth is, he's absolutely right. You cannot run for governor if you don't raise tons of money. So we have to be out front on trying to change that system and take responsibility as progressives to raise small amounts to actually support candidates To be we competitive. That's right. Okay, so uh, the setter revealed more than he knew when he said this. Uh, he, by the way, his nickname used to be the the Prince of Darkness, uh, because of the insider deals he used to do, which doesn't seem a great qualification in the current situation. But Bernie Sanders didn't spend, as he complained, four hours a day calling right. rich donors and big corporate backers because he had a bold progressive agenda and was able to generate millions and millions and millions of dollars That's of small right. contributions. And obviously, uh, former Senator Cullen was not thinking about any kind of bold agenda that would attract people and was just going to call all of the big feed, as they like to call them, that dominate America, uh, Wisconsin politics and American politics of the bigger feed in D.C. And so by saying that he's not willing to spend four hours a day on the phone, I think he already showed why he is should be ineligible for a Democratic nomination for governor. Well, I am glad you brought that up because that is exactly why I brought it up. I think Jordan is 100% right that we should be whining about having to raise money. We as progressives need to get serious about doing exactly what Bernie did, actually have an agenda and build the kind of organization that can raise small dollar amounts so that our candidates can be competitive. Well, at Citizen Action, I know our organizing cooperative is excited to take up that challenge. We are very interested in doing that. So, Robert, you're right. Cullen did have the wrong approach. And by the way, it's also hard when you're a CEO exec, but and you don't really have an agenda that appeals to them because the Republicans are there and you have no base on the right. Health so, yeah. insurance executive. So, not, so we bid adieu to the Prince of Darkness. It's, it's not a it's not a plan to win. But folks, big elections next year. Tammy Baldwin is also up and. 
We think the Republicans may have their uh, have one uh, opponent against her, uh, and so we'll be talking more about that in the future. But folks, make sure whatever you do, get out and vote on Tuesday. Very important, and we'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Are we doing furloughs or not? No. Oh yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a request that people like. I know. Okay. So. Don't forget to get out and vote on Tuesday. It's very, very important. But, you know, before Tuesday, there's the weekend. So, Jorna, what are you doing when you're not knocking doors this weekend? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Come, oh, Jorna, what are you doing when you're not knocking doors this weekend? When I'm or not knocking phoning um, your favorite. Uh, well, George and Reno and I are going to have uh, a yeah. phone bank at a uh, at a horse show this weekend. Yes. So. Well, George is very good on that auto dialer. Super good on the auto dialer. <laughs> he, he, he's just got a headset. So come on, there's got to be something else, right? What 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 do you recommend? What what culinary? Uh, oh, I'm brunching or, with my friend. Where where should people be going? We haven't decided yet, no. but um, it'll be somewhere on the east side of Milwaukee. So I don't know, maybe like Hollander Cafe Hollander or something. There you go, Cafe some Bloody Hollander. Marys and some mimosas and some gossip and girl talk. It'd be great. All right, Robert. Robert, when you want to talk? You're not gossiping talk? and girl talking. What will you be doing this weekend? I I have a feeling. You're going to be like hanging out with the lawyers or something. What are you doing this weekend? How did you know? Matt? Oh, jeez. So All right. I've been invited by some fantastic trial lawyers to Lake Geneva to talk about the future history and future of healthcare in America. The Justice Squad. And so I, and I was invited by a co op member, Citizen Action Wisconsin, North Central Wisconsin co op member. Bremer Christine Bremer Mugley. Bremer Mugley, who is a very prominent trial lawyer and well known because she does a lot of media. She does a lot of Wisconsin Public Radio Week and Review shows and things like that. So the listeners have probably heard of her. And so that's what I'm doing Friday night and Saturday morning. But that I will be finished in time for the for the final four. Yeah. Uh, one of the great cultural events in America. Yeah. And, uh, I am. I don't know if I'm picking Gonzaga, but I'm hoping for Gonzaga to win. I think it's finally time for Gonzaga to, to win a well-earned national championship. Yeah, uh, we're on the same page there, Robert. I am very excited for the Final Four as a West Coast Conference grad. I am rooting strongly for Gonzaga. I really hope they do well. Um, Gonzaga, North Carolina, that would be a great game. Uh, I am also... Uh, this weekend, I have uh, baseball. My son's uh, Rufus King baseball team has a doubleheader on Saturday. That should be a frigid, <laughs> horrendous affair, and I'm how sure. How are they doing? They're just getting started. Okay. The season has started. What is your started. projection? Are they going to uh, win the, win the I think league? It, I think it's going to be a rough year for, for the, the JV uh, King squad. But uh, looking forward to uh, the baseball season. I love watching uh, watching my son play baseball. But I, I've taken on a big project in my house. I've actually, I'm restoring uh, a room for my son to turn into a bedroom. And that means I'm sanding about, um, oh. A hundred years of paint off of woodwork. So I have lead paint (laughs) protocol here. I have a full respirator and everything. I am full certified. Anyways, I'll be doing that on Sunday and uh, looking forward to the following week, which is opening flat track racing season. Very excited. We'll be traveling to Illinois. But with that, we want to thank Brian Wildridge, who makes the podcast happen every week, keeps us on time, even when he doesn't. So thank you, Brian. And uh, we'll see y'all. He hates us. He He does. (laughs) We'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.